0: Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Today I have a special guest with me. This is a gentleman whose work I've been following for many years, and I'm sure many of you have been following this gentleman for many years as well. Uh, He is the author of this very well-known publication, Anatomy Trains, and I'm very honored to introduce my special guest, Tom Myers. And Tom, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're in traveling mode right now, right? Uh,
1: yes, <laughs> that's not unusual for me. Yeah, I call myself a white blood cell in the in the body of human. And I travel around, <laughs> checking out the immune system all, and, and my own immune system all over the planet. <laughs> Uh, but oh. anyway, thank you for the thank you for the invitation and thank you for your wonderful work with uh, people with Parkinson's. So, uh, you're oh. to be congratulated as well.
0: Well, thank you, thank you very much. It's been a very gratifying experience. We're always learning and always growing because there's so much more we can do that we just don't know we can do yet. So, um, well, like like I mentioned here, of course, um, we've I've, I've been th- this is not a book that I read. It's a book I study. <laughs> I love this. I just love it, and one of the things that is uh, uh has been very helpful to me is and understanding as best as I can this material and then bringing it to uh, my workshops around the world to uh, you know just the knowledge some of the knowledge from that will go into helping people to move better, so we know that in many cases um, um, People start to lose, let's say their movement diminishes, Uh, for some reason the quality of movement is less than optimal. We see this in Parkinson's disease, uh, of course. Um, So, what I wanted to do today, and we talked a little bit off camera first, um, I would love to talk about this whole idea of developmental movement. Uh, That post you put up recently uh, about the uh, children, and I can't remember where, but basically it had to do with not assisting children as much in movement and then maybe uh, eventually we can segue into when people lose movement um, what can we do to help them get it back? Why don't we start with the uh, assisting people less, assisting children less.
1: Yeah let's do that and then then we'll go to how we get it back. The um, <clears throat> I don't know if you are old enough to remember but the uh, it used to be when I, when I was a kid, my mom said, you be back by the time the sun goes down. And yes, uh, we went off into the woods. I grew up in rural Maine and, and went off into the woods and, uh, I came back by the time the sun came down. If, if, uh, I wasn't doing something more important, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, the, the, the freedom of movement that kids had, um, even 50 years ago when I was growing up, um, was a whole lot more than today. Um, After um, there was a terrible kidnapping of Megan and uh, those laws came in and were really circumscribed. So sure, there are people with, and we'll talk about that, people with neurological diseases that lose their movement, but kids are losing their ability to move just in the process of being in this society because we go from building to building to building. We can't say to your kids, just go outside and and play because it's it's not, whether it is safe or not, that's a question, Um, but it's not perceived as safe. So kids go from one activity to the other and they're very cosseted in those activities so that let nobody break a bone, let nobody, uh, we, we just keep them within limits so that they don't move very much. Mm-hmm. So it's not, but there's a whole argument about the quality of movement that I'm sure we'll get into, but just plain quantity of movement is not around. Um, they they did a study recently on a, on a tribe in Ethiopia near the Omo River, and even with, you know, machetes and uh, some fairly modern farming type methods, they're not a Stone Age culture, but they're as close to a Stone Age culture as we've got left. And they take they average 15,000, they put Fitbits on these people, they average 15,000 steps a day. Mm -hmm. Um, Most are really working hard to get up to 12,000 steps a day. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way the kids are moved around by car from one place to another, um, of course there are wonderful things happening with extreme sports, what people are doing with skateboards and parkour and Mm -hmm. all of that is really great. But the majority of kids are not having enough movement and not having enough sense of risk, which is what that post was about that you were referring to. Um, If you never allow your child to take a risk, they never have the feeling of, of an adventure. Um, it's, it's always a Disney adventure. It's an ersatz adventure. You know, it's going to end up well in the end. Well, life isn't like that. You don't know it's going to end up well in the
0: end.
1: Although we don't want anybody breaking bones. I sure do want to see the kids climbing trees, uh, you know, climbing rocks and and taking risks in order to build their movement, their basic movement skills.
0: I love that. I, I love what you're saying. Yeah, I'm 57. So I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and I know, um, you know, we didn't even have an answering machine. (laughs) We didn't have cable. We had three channels, and if we were lucky on a good day, if the weather was right and the cosmos were aligned, we had a fourth channel. So there wasn't a lot of TV to watch. And we were outside all the time, running uh, in in the woods, down by the creek, um, playing games outside, riding our bicycles constantly and we we were moving all the time. Yep. And we had, and we not to go off on a tangent, but we had books and we weren't like this all the time, right, because- Yeah, I had, but, but
1: Carl, you're 57, I'm 69, and I bet you you're as addicted to your phone as I am. Oh, and, it's, that, it's- That whole yeah. digital thing didn't just happen to the kids, it happened to all of us. You, you oh. take my phone away from me for a couple of days and I'm shaking, you know, I'm jonesing for my, for my phone again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's wonderful It's wonderful to be connected. And I think this is temporary. I think that all that focus on the screen uh, is something that's just as this, as this technology is coming in, uh, that, way, that way, that we'll learn to use it in different ways. And uh, I'm not worried about the kids with text thumb. And I am worried about the kids who are spending all this time like that. But I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to last very. Right. Very long I think we'll will integrate with our tech in a better way but we are human beings we are 70 trillion cells trying to act uh, in concert and be called Carl or Tom and uh, those 70 trillion cells they need water take gotten to them every minute they need their garbage taken out they need to know what's happening in their local area they need to know what's happening overall in a, you know, in a general sense and uh, movement is a very it's I, I I consider movement to be a food I know there's a, an idea of movement as medicine you you practice movement as medicine for sure. people with park but move, movement could also be considered to be a food like like breath or the tea you're drinking or the um, You know anything that we eat if if you don't have enough movement You don't have the nutrition that would keep your body healthy and whole by moving stuff around
0: Exactly yeah, I, um, in fact, I got away from moving for many years. Uh, before I got into what I do now, many years ago, I was basically, I was a musician, a, a drummer. Mm-hmm. And drummers move, but it's, you're sit- sitting too, right? I had gained a lot of weight, wasn't working out the same way. And what I find myself doing now is going uh, consciously, trying to make sure that I move enough. Especially as I get older, that's a whole other thing. It's just easier to gain weight and things like that. But uh, uh, moving enough is very, very important. Moving, uh, staying moving, just keeping things going because otherwise a lot of problems seem to develop for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and then there are all kinds of movement systems out there. You know, you can train hard in CrossFit. You can be doing moving slowly in yoga or Tai Chi. Uh, there's not one kind of movement that is good for everybody at all different times of their life um, True. i <laughs> I was a, an academic a a head case and uh, <laughs> i didn't do much i didn't do much moving at all and uh when I, I i had this kind of thing of uh if I get the urge to exercise, I just lie down for a while and it goes away um and, <laughs> and when i got when I got to about your age, I said, this is not working for me anymore. And I started uh, four-foot running. I, I run on the balls of my feet um, because I was reading the research that said you can build your fascial elasticity by that kind of movement. And I realized I was getting less elastic as I got older, getting less bouncy. And, and you know, you think of your kids, your kids are bouncy, your grandma is not bouncy. So, uh i wanted I wanted to be more like the kids and less like grandma, so I started bouncing around on my feet and it has really you know i 'm seventy I feel better than i than I felt at at uh, fifty five and um, I keep quite a schedule and and a lot of it is on airplanes and in hotels, and you really have to work to keep yourself moving in that kind of environment. But by work, I mean you have to just set aside time for it. Um, right. Because I get all the exercise I need in a hotel room. Um, yes. Even in a Japanese hotel room where you really don't have any room, uh, you, you can set yourself to moving. And I really love, um, there's all kinds of people doing great work in movement, Ido Portal, and uh, there's lots of other people doing, doing great work. Um, and so, I, I look for those kinds of basic movements developmental movements, animal type movements, mm-hmm. um, what Emily Conrad called biomorphic movements, moving like all kinds of animals, insects, not just cheetahs and, and, and leopards, but um, oh, cool. all kinds of animals. Yep. Um, and, and letting myself go through those fish like movements or worm like movements really revives my spine. Because it's not, just, it's not enough just to do your traps, lats, pecs, and delts, and your glutes. Uh, you right. really have to get into the center of the body. If you if you want, at least that's how I feel it now uh, at my age, is the inner movements closer to the spine, in mm. the neck, yeah. jaw, in the breath, in the psoas, and the pelvis. that Those kinds of movements keep me healthy um, oh. more than however much I can bench press.
0: Uh, totally. This actually, this might be a good segue because there's one thing that I teach, uh, we teach in our Parkinson's courses is, uh, let's, let's see, how does this go? Optimal firing of muscles, nerves and muscles is for functional movement is much more important than having great strength in areas that do not coordinate movement. For example, if I can have Parkinson's or, or, or not, let's just say I don't move well, but I can bench a lot of weight and I can pull down a lot of weight and um, that's not going to help me move better. So with that said, uh, I love what you're talking about, about keeping the uh, movements closer to the spine or thinking of the the center and the spine as uh, a focal point of keeping that active and in shape. Um, Let's segue over to people who... Lose movement, and what we do to get it back. Um, you know, again, we talked off camera in the beginning for a minute. With Parkinson's, we see a lot of times a, a rigidity of um, forward posture, uh, asymmetrical gait pattern, shuffling steps a lot of times. Um, but we see that with a lot of people, though. And so, when when you're working with somebody like that, what's your approach to getting them back towards more optimal movement?
1: Well, the first thing I want to say, I I really would like to make the division between those people with a neurological problem and those people without a neurological problem, just a movement problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, with both, the first thing that I would say that applies to both is what can they do? There's so much emphasis in physiotherapy and in any kind of corrective movement, even Pilates and yoga. Oh, well you can't do this you, you you're doing your downward dog and your heels aren't on the floor you're doing your stuff on the uh reformer but you really ought to have your pelvis tucked under like this there's there's all this emphasis on what you're not doing whenever i tackle anybody with a neurological problem especially when i'm working with a child i start with what they can do um and um Take something that they can do and maybe improve it a little bit uh get them to to do that better but i don't start with the emphasis on what they can't do and i think that has been really successful for me in working with both impaired and not impaired people is to start with the things that feel easy and fun and that they like to do uh, and then we gradually move over okay well could that knee come a little bit you know, you're crawling now. Could that knee come up a little bit farther? Or what happens if you touch your elbow and your knee together? Then, then we can sort of add some fun
0: that would take them into the area with Right. Don't. Well, I, I love like that. That's my first one. That's your first one. I like that a lot because. Um, I think when we can focus on what they can do psychologically, that helps too, because um, it's already for many people, not everyone, it's, everyone has a different personality, but for a lot of them, just getting through the door to see you in the first place could have been a major thing for them. So if we yep, encourage them um, and, and go with that approach of what they can do, I think that really sets the tone in a nice way where they know you care, and then they can, they, they're just going to feel better. Then we gradually work into what they're not able to do as well and bring it in slowly so that's your yeah. first one what's your next one
1: yeah well i just just to finish up on that one it's it's delight you know moving moving is not if if moving becomes a chore then it's something that a hill they have to climb every morning um mm. whenever they do it if if movement starts out as a delight and then more movement is more delight <laughs> if it starts yeah. out as a chore then more movement is more of a chore
0: and that's that's uh, a terrible I love thing that. actually i love that i i might steal that and i'll give you credit every time i say it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Seriously, please. that's a great way to think about it
1: please please do steal it i've stolen all of my stuff from other people um <laughs> the uh except the anatomy trains that people Somebody tried to say, oh, he stole the anatomy trains from site. And I really didn't. That, that there are people <laughs> who have lines of muscles before me. I don't mean that, but, but I really did the research on that one. <laughs> most, of, uh, most of the other stuff, you know, we all, we all uh, they say if you steal from one person, that's plagiarism. If you steal from 10 people, that's scholarship. But if you steal from 100 people, that's original research. So I've, I've, stolen, I've, I've stolen from at least 100 people on this. Okay. The the next thing that I, I would say gets into my domain, which is if somebody hasn't been moving for a long time, and that includes people with Parkinson's, but it also includes those of us who've been sitting in an office chair for mm-hmm. all these years or driving sure. for eight hours a day for a long time. Or um, well, for me, it's sitting in airplanes for 16 hours at a time. The um, if you haven't been moving for a long time, and I don't mean 16 hours, I mean this, this bit hasn't moved for months and months and years and years, the, uh, it's not just a neuromuscular problem. That was the insight of Rolf that I studied with is that if it gets there for long enough, it becomes part of the fabric of the body. And I don't mean just the psychological fabric, it becomes sure. part of the actual physical fabric of the body, which is called fascia. Um, and that fascia gets sticky and it gets thick. Those are, you know, there's been a lot of press about fascia, a lot of noise about fascia. Uh-huh. It gets sticky and it gets thick. Uh, when it gets sticky, it won't slide on itself. Uh, when it gets thick, it, um, everything nets together and it looks like felt and it won't move in the way that the body was designed to move. Mm-hmm. So, um, Antonio Stecco, for instance, is working with Parkinson's uh, folks and he's injecting an enzyme, hyaluronidase, to break up the sticky part of the fascia so that the spastic paresis will come out of the muscles and they'll be able perhaps to move voluntarily better. Um, Now, I don't inject people with hyaluronidase. I use my hands. And I go after the places that are have been stuck together, and by uh holding one part in place and getting them to move, I get those two two bits to move on each other and restore that movement and that's that's my that's what I teach that's my stock in trade that was um part of the insight of Ida Rolf um so I think it's really good if people start out with some stuff that really opens up, if, if they haven't been moving for a long time, to start out with some of the stuff that opens up the fascia. Or, conversely, don't expect them to move in a complete way when they're moving against the fabric. The, the muscles are weak, the mind is weak, and the fabric is strong. So you're, mm-hmm. you're setting people up for failure if you're trying to push them to, to move uh, too much too soon. Um, And if we can get this tissue to open up, then the neuromuscular stuff becomes easier to
0: work with. I love that. Wow, lots of uh, knowledge bombs and brain candy here. (laughs) Yeah, I love this. Um, So you know what, there's something, I'm having a random thought here, and I'd like to go back to our a few minutes ago when you were talking about running on your forefoot and bouncing on your feet. Yep. And I'll tie it in with what we're talking about right now in a second. But can you s- explain a little bit more about um, what do you do when you're, like let's say you're, you're on a trip, you're in Japan, you're in a hotel room. Yep. You want to bounce on your feet. Do you just, do you bounce on your feet? Do you like run in place? Is it something like that? Or if you're able to get out, are you going to be running outside um, bouncing on the balls of your feet or foot running?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be outside if I can. Um, just cause I like being outside and mm-hmm. if I'm in a foreign country, then I get to see things. Yeah. Um, I'll be out there on the street with my either, I either use a, a regular minimum shoe or those five fingered thingies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that there's really very little between me and the ground, but enough to protect me if I'm on a city street. Sure. And, um, then I literally, my heels do not touch the ground during my run. Um,
0: that so was my next question. You, so you're totally avoiding heel
1: contact? I, uh, for the purposes of this kind of running, I don't avoid heel contact for the rest of the day. Um,
0: right, right, the, sure. During the running, yeah.
1: But, but let me tell you why. Because when I do that, for instance, when I'm bouncing and my heel is up in the air, um, the Achilles tendon is getting a little longer and bouncing back, a little longer and bouncing back, a little longer and bouncing back. And the muscle, the soleus and the gastrocnemius that sure. hold them, tendon Mm -hmm. actually doing an isometric contraction not a concentric contraction i'm not pushing myself off with my soleus i'm bouncing onto the tendon the tendon gets a little longer and then it gives back that elastic energy so So the elastic recoil uh, kicks in the elastic recoil kicks in so i'm training my body in elastic recoil i'm not training myself if i want to do aerobic training then i should get on a bicycle or do something where i'm not bouncing on my fascia because bouncing on your fascia is so efficient you're not using up the sugar or putting that much of a strain on your body it's Uh building the the elasticity in my ligaments which um have kept me feeling more bouncy just in general i find Um, myself sitting here i've actually
0: Okay. Just let ahead. me answer the
1: other one uh, yeah. if if i cannot get out then jumping rope is the what a, uh, just take a jump rope. easy thing to take in a uh, suitcase and um so that that gets my bouncing in if i can't
0: go out oh that's great that's great. actually that's something that i do fairly often and uh one of my uh my lead instructor Allison, she she does that all the time um of course it's just a great cardio thing too you can get your heart rate up pretty quickly yeah uh, but I find myself sitting here trying to push into the ground. So I have to stand up and try this, this, okay. I'm going to work on this because I think uh, that whole idea of running, it's funny, just yesterday morning, a friend of mine was saying to me, I was just reading about running on your forefoot and having worked uh, in, 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 well, it doesn't really matter. I had to think about it. And then today you're talking about this. So now I have to tell her that, She's on to something. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> this is really great, man.
1: So um, I, I just, just want to emphasize that's not the only thing that I do. I'm not advocating that over something else. But once we understand the body, uh, mm-hmm. which means understanding the fascia and understanding our neuromuscular thing, we'll, under, we'll maybe have an idea. We'll have a better idea than we have now about how much of what each person needs in terms of movement I don't think there's not I said this earlier but there's not one prescription for everybody for movement it's different in different times of your life and different genetics that you have and we we need to figure that out And we're only just beginning we just we just sent everybody out into movement well in the old paleo days you were chasing down game and out gathering (coughs) herbs and washing your clothes in the river and all of that so you had plenty of exercise, and then we got to the farming region about 10,000 years ago, we all started farming, and we were still swinging sides and bringing home the, the harvest and all of that, so we were still moving a lot. You know why we take summer off in school? Because you went to the fields and oh. you helped in the fields, you didn't play all summer, you you, uh, you, you were needed,
0: yeah. you needed
1: to get home to work in the field. So um, as we... Uh, then we went into the industrial era and now we are doing repetitive motion on assembly line and all Mm -hmm. of our exercises became like jumping jacks and turkeys and things that were designed to have us do repetitive movement. Now we're entering this electronic age where we're all married to our phones. What kind of movement do we need for that? Well, we don't need repetitive movement. Mm -hmm. Machines are doing that. We don't need farming movement. Machines are doing that what do we need we need human movement which is actually more original Uh, so can we get our kids into some kind of dancing or some kind of exploration inside themselves I, i think physical education is really going to change just because of the phones not because of the phones per se but because we're beginning to think about the body in a different way we're not thinking about it as a machine so much
0: really really interesting when you go through a timeline like that of farming before farming to farming to industrial to now uh this is that's you know i never i never even thought about the fact that a jumping jack probably wasn't around 150 years ago right who did jumping jacks Who well, we started that but, and a lot of the other stuff out there we've had to design exercise to you know, crossfit wasn't around 50 years ago 30 years ago um,
1: it really wasn't it's it's hard to to you know i'm i'm so old now that i remember these things but there wasn't any exercise for women it was uh-huh. when jane flanda came in with aerobics that all of a sudden exercise became okay for women before that uh exercise was men sweaty pumping iron inside a gym yeah um, you didn't you didn't see women outside exercising oh they played you know some played tennis and things like that but it was not a general thing it really came in with aerobics that it became okay for women to exercise and then all came all those clothes and all the accoutrements and then oh uh, yeah gyms were trying to get women in and all that kind of thing but this has changed significantly even within the span of my lifetime
0: me you know now that you mentioned that me too because i remember the early 80s i think it might have been jane fonda that yeah. so was all over TV, you know. Yeah. So you could buy the the VHS tapes probably at the time, or right, something right. like <laughs> Betamax or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah, who remembers Beta? Not many of us. But no. yeah, it was out there. Well, okay, so let's uh, as we work as we come towards uh, closing out. Let's say here, I love uh, everything you've shared. is just it's just so insightful. I, this has got me thinking about a lot of different things. So, let's go back to the uh regaining movement. Is there anything you would like to share? Um, you, you talked about um what people can do and working with them in that regard first, just to kind of set the tone uh get them more involved. Um, what's the next in line for you? What's the next thing you're going to do to help help somebody regain some movement
1: well then then we have to look at um once, once they're enthusiastic about movement, then we have to look at very basic things. Now, standing is a movement. Standing still is a movement. And many, many people are doing that in an inefficient way where their head is forward. uh, The chest falls that affects the breathing. Then the lower back has to tighten up to keep the head on. Um, And then you go to the doctor or you go to the chiropractor and you say, Oh, I got a lower back problem. And the, the, person is not looking at your neck um, this is a whole pattern the first thing we have to do is, is think in whole pattern terms if somebody is not moving in their feet they're not going to be moving in their hips and, and their low back well mm-hmm. um, so do i work on the hips and low back or do i help them with their feet put a ball under their feet so getting the, the your feet have 28 bones in them and there's a reason for that um, <clears throat> if they were meant to be still then we could have done it with God would have done it with one bone, but there's 28 bones in there, and yet we take those feet and we put them in sensory deprivation chambers every day and lace them up. Very true. Then the the bones don't move with each other. So getting getting people's feet to be a little more prehensile, a little more like hands with a bit more sensation in them is certainly an early one for me. A second one is sitting. <clears throat> Most people in the industrialized world today sit, as you and I are now, a great deal of the time and yet nobody ever taught them how to use a chair or to oh, how to use a body in a chair. So the second thing I'm going to do is use Feldenkrais's pelvic clock or uh, other exercises that um, people have developed for getting the pelvis under your body because so many i'll I'll go back to the kids now with their phones, so many of them are sitting back on their tailbone with the the back flexed uh into position, and um, that is a recipe for not being able to use your hips so um, so getting getting them to light movement that was the first one we talked about getting their feet uh moving, and then uh the third one in. Uh, in sitting is can they sit slowly from mm. stand to the sitting? Because most people, I'm going to go out of your picture here, but most people go <laughs> into the chair, mm-hmm. right? They land in the chair, and they throw themselves out of the chair. When you do that, you are short circuiting the muscles in your hips, the little muscles underneath the glutes uh, in the yes. back psoas and so pectineus and iliacus in front all of these muscles get um, atrophied for where they need to be for you to actually sit and I think that this the chairs are causing the pandemic or people's misuse of chairs is causing the pandemic of hip replacements that we're getting uh, uh, the argument for, the, the argument for so many hip replacements is oh well we're living much longer than we used to and your hips are running you know your, your hips get to their cell by date. <laughs> and uh, that's just such a bunch of crap. Um, hips will work just fine. Knees will work just fine if you use them properly. Of course they can be injured. Of course things can happen. I'm not saying that. Uh, and, and surgery can be really, really helpful when those things do happen. But we've got a bunch of people who are just having degenerative arthritis in their hips and knees and it's not um, because they're living too long it's because they're not using their hips and knees properly in their daily life and so that's the right. part that runs out
0: right right that that's uh, that's beautiful just I'm really glad you said that because I think that's just so important There are things that a lot of us um, well they get left out <laughs> excuse me <laughs> um, Things that, that uh, average, let's say uh, the doc, the medical community and not to knock them, my son is a doctor in Atlanta and we, we need my son, we need the doctors out there, but the medical community at large will, they don't look at these things. They're not looking at how we sit. I know when we, just going off for a minute, I work with a lot of people with neurological disorders, uh, especially if they're in a wheelchair, but if they can stand, we're working to get them to, uh even if it's assisted a little bit because we have to at first to help them up out of the chair slow but then down slow because we want to strengthen that area we want to coordinate those areas to be able to hopefully get them back to moving a little bit better because sometimes mm-hmm. it's just it's not all lost and they may have a degenerative condition but they can still improve movement so um that gets yeah, exactly. lost.
1: And, and what sometimes gets missing in those Parkinson's patients is the musicality of the movement. Mm-hmm. I find music so helpful with people with neurological problems because somehow that rhythm coming into the ears uh, mm-hmm. connects to the movement part of the brain. And uh, it seems to be very helpful to have, uh, to have them move in a rhythmic way or to move with music to, to help improve those uh, neurological deficits.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I, I think it may be the third or fourth slide of our uh, presentation talks about music and movement and the connection, uh, movement and learning and the connection. Because I know I learn better when I'm moving. Uh, if I have moved a lot, if I don't, if I sit all day, I don't learn as well. There's all kinds yeah, of- absolutely. I,
1: whenever I go on my classes, I tell people to get up, move. It, you're not going to offend me if you're doing yoga in the corner or you're rolling around or you need to get out and walk for 10 minutes and then come back. Yeah. Uh, I, I regard that as, as good self-care and not, um, <laughs> that's not an insult to me.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, let me, uh, I'm going to ask you one more question. And that question is what advice, if you could, uh, let's say deliver any particular, uh one piece of advice words of wisdom uh, what would that be for the movement movement specialists out there the manual therapists what what is your message
1: keep going don't get discouraged this is the absolute task of the 21st century uh, your son is a doctor and i'm so glad that they're working with chemistry and my god they're doing amazing things with chemistry and um, I'm so glad that my uh, cousin is the psychiatrist, and their psychologists and all that are doing wonderful work with how people communicate, but we, this is the century in which we need to learn how movement works, because it's the key to change behavior, it is the key to health, and because of the way that people are not moving, it is the biggest threat to health, in my in my opinion. we can argue whether nutrition is or or whether movement is, but it's uh, what people are doing when they're helping other people to move is so important. Keep going, keep studying, keep working. This is a really, really good field to be in right now.
0: Well, I love, I love that advice. Uh, I feel the same way actually. And it's one of the reasons I'm talking with you is because I want to learn more. and I know the people who watch this series, they want to learn more. And so you're, your uh time here, your knowledge, we appreciate so much this uh, sharing with us today, Tom.
1: It's been a great pleasure talking with you, Carl, and greetings to the folks who are listening, and uh, thanks a lot, and keep going.
0: Yeah, well that, I love those words with them Keep keep going. It might be another one I steal from you. I'll give you credit though. <laughs> well, it's funny when you talk about stealing or taking things from other people. I have in my workshops, I just I say, uh, by the way i don't I didn't make any of this up. I had one original thought, when I get to that slide, I'll make a big deal out of it, but the 168 <laughs> other slides, it's all somebody else's stuff.
1: Yeah, So, but that's, uh, but that's it, Carl. We're part of the tide that's coming now, and, well, there are two tides. There's a tide that's taking people away from their bodies, putting them into the electronics, getting them to sit more and move less, and we're part of the tide that are getting people to move more, and, and it's irreducible that we have a body. We all have a body. Rich people have a body, poor people have a body, old people have a body, young people have a body. And so keeping that body healthy is the irreducible fact of being a human.
0: I love that, man. So uh, one, one last thing here. I wanna make sure I mention, of course, Anatomy Trains. Um, yes. If people want to know more about your workshops or any of the uh, anything that you have out there that's available for people reading, listening, watching uh, live events, where should
1: they go? To AnatomyTrains.com. Okay. Uh, we have all of our courses listed there. We, we're worldwide. We have an office in Europe and an office in Australia, and we do courses all over the world. Um, I have about 20 teachers, including Simone, who's a friend of yours. Uh, awesome. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, who, who's, uh, they're, they're all lovely people. Um, and um, the, the only other thing that I would wanna plug is, if you really wanna understand the body, get yourself to a dissection. We run on dissections, but other people run dissections too. I'm not touting mine more than other people's, Um, but uh, you really see the body for what it is. And the body in the books is not the same as the body as lived. So uh, obviously when you're dissecting somebody, you're dissecting somebody who is no longer living, but you you see how the living tissue works. Mm. Uh, It's been revelation for me and lots of the people who have come to these dissections have really gotten a lot out of them so um, if you can make a visit to Boulder with us sometime uh, we'd love to see you
0: Uh, when okay so those are on your website right you have those okay (laughs) my whole life
1: is on my website yes
0: (laughs) okay yeah as a matter of fact I've had people come to my workshops who have been to your workshops uh, for the uh, actually the dissection labs and that every person who's been to yours and came to mine. added so much to mine. So thank you because now I need to get to yours because I want to understand this better as, as well. I want to get my team to come out and attend because
1: yeah, I know it'll be very yeah, we, have a lot, we have a lot of emphasis on the fascia um, and we're using cadavers that have not been uh, dipped in formaldehyde. So one, it's a lot easier on you. You're not breathing in all that chemistry, but secondly, the body moves as normally. It's not a stiff, whatever, um, oh, okay. uh, you, you can see the joints move. You can see what happens. Okay, when I take off this muscle, does the joint move better? Uh, you can see how the fascial layers attach to oh. each other. You can see how tendons really work. The books have been cleaned up in a way that our anatomy books, our anatomy atlases have been cleaned up in a way that, that uh, is not real. So okay. uh, the, word, the word autopsy means see for yourself. And I urge people to come come see for yourself.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate that. So uh, um, AnatomyTrains.com is the website you can find about, about all of Tom's events, live events, books, all materials. Your whole life is on your website, you said. So we'll, we can send people there to find out what you have. Um, yep. Once again, thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate this. This has been a fantastic. Uh, thank you, day. Carl.
1: Thank you. Thank you for
0: your work. Well, thank you. And thank you everyone for watching and have a fantastic day.